Hello, world. Welcome to episode uh, five, maybe. I think of the. I think six. I don't know. Maybe six. I, I think this is six. We'll call it five and a half. I don't really know. Yeah. Of the Black and White Theology Podcast, I'm Noah Flipiak, and I'm here with Tyler St. Clair. We are yeah, yeah, your. Yeah. We are your. No, oh, no. Root beer float today. Oh, I hate root. You that, always say stuff that I do not like to eat. That white, soft serve goodness wrapped around, or it could be the the what do they call the other ice cream that's not soft serve, like hard serve? Uh, <laughs> uh, delicious. Surrounded by that bubbly brown root beer, we're here today. Uh, how's it going there, uh, bubbly brown root beer? Listen, man, I can't complain. Good. I'm good. You should make you do a good window air conditioner impression. <laughs> I got the window air conditioner on in my office today, so hopefully you listeners uh, don't hear that. But if not, Tyler will fill in the, the sound for you in the background. So I can I can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so we're talking on Skype today, and I'm trying to get my Skype set up. You know. What I hate is whenever any software ever does an update and it changes everything and it makes you ask t- 10 questions before you log in. Yeah. So I'm not in a good mood today because of Skype. I need, I need some, to- of us will say that, some of us will say that's first world problem. You weren't like trapped in a cave for three weeks no. like those true. people and uh, those uh, soccer players. So, you know. That's true. You live. Man up, you'll live. That's true. I just just need some prayer right now. I need some pastoral counseling. I don't do that unless I'm paid. Well, I we're, <laughs> we are not paid to do this podcast. We know that. So we, we did okay. have someone send us in a book and some candy. That was nice. So that any one. anyone else that wants to send us uh, money or candy, we'll uh, we'll take as well. So we're going to wait. We're going to skip the mailbag for now because... Listeners around the world, our global audience, they were very frustrated with last episode. See, we told them we were going to talk about limited atonement. We did. We talked, and we talked, and we talked. And never once did we talk about limited atonement. Well, because you don't believe in limited atonement. That's why you wanted to avoid it. Well, we'll, we'll find out today. We'll find out today. We'll we'll take on we're taking on John Piper and uh, we'll, we'll oh see. wow we'll see uh, so you're taking on John Piper well the no, the notes we use we're so we're gonna start with limited atonement today we're going through the tulip uh, we've done that a few of the last episodes uh, the T and the U we're on L today and then later when we're done with limited atonement we'll get to the mailbag. And uh, we'll see what path that leads us down as far as racial subjects uh, and those sorts of things. So let's start with limited atonement. The reason I mentioned John Piper is only because we get our notes for the tulip from his website, Desiring God. And uh, they're good notes. I recommend them. So, all right. Limited atonement. That's the L in the tulip. Uh, definition mm-hmm. of atonement. This is just definition of atonement, if you don't know what that is. Uh, the atonement is right. the work of God in Christ by his obedience and death, by which he canceled the debt of our sin, 
appeased his mm-hmm. holy wrath against us and won for us all the benefits of salvation. So I think right. we all agree to that. Christians, uh, Arminians, Calvinists, we all agree on atonement. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, if you, <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you don't agree about atonement, I mean, atonement is a word Paul uses a whole bunch. It means that Jesus, Jesus took our place. He hung on the right. cross in our place. If you don't believe that, I mean, you, I don't. You're not a Christian. I mean, you you can't be saved without without the atonement. I mean, some. I, go ahead, Tyler. I, I like. Um, uh, I believe Piper and many others um, kind of switched the word "limited" with "definite." Um, limited atonement. Limited isn't the most helpful word to me. Um, I like. I like definite atonement or uh, substitutionary atonement. Um, I found this definition uh, from the Canon of Dort uh, for the uh, definite atonement. It was God's will that Christ, through the blood of the cross, should redeem um, from every people, tribe, nation, and language all those and only those who were chosen from eternity to salvation and given to him by the Father that he should grant them faith, that he should cleanse them um, by his blood from their sins, that he should faithfully preserve them to the very end, and that he should finally present them to himself a glorious people without spot or wrinkle. Uh, that's from the Canon of Dort. I like I also like this definition from R.L. Dabney. Um, Christ's sacrifice has purchased and provided the effectual calling, excuse me, for the uh, effectual calling of the elect with all the graces that ensures their faith, repentance, justification, uh, perseverance, and glorification. So I like those two definitions because it it talks about how basically um, the finished work of Christ um, did the whole whole work of salvation. Um, The finished work of Christ uh, preserves us, it justifies us, it sanctifies us, and it will uh, affect eventually glorify us on that great day so i don't think we have any listeners left that was so boring what you just read wow 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 well some of us like uh, old dead people like myself and some of us like you um like joyce myers i'm trying to figure out i'm sending <laughs> i'm sending you a heart emoji right now on on skype oh. Please these don't. Are, these are amazing. We'll have to somehow incorporate these into the uh, oh, into the, the podcast. That oh, won't be necessary. I love it. Oh, man, I'm, I'm crying right now. My little emoji's crying. Well, you, uh, you said you cheated a little bit. You got, you got ahead of my notes. Thanks a lot for doing oh. that. Oh, uh, you are. Yeah, Piper says later he likes to word definite atonement better. Uh. But... But to be clear on one thing, you said substitutionary atonement is something that Arminians believe. That's different than the definite versus or definite limited. I mean, substitutionary is just saying Jesus took our place. He's our substitute. But this idea of definite or limited atonement, you know, it's funny. Definite atonement, I think they it just doesn't make a good flower name. You know, if you if you spell it out, Mm -hmm. you got T U I L P. You would have T U L D D P. That's it's kind of, I don't know. I kind of like that. Two dip is a little bit more edgy, uh, a little bit more modern. I think we would probably reach by God's sovereign will uh, more 
of millennials if we maybe switched it from tulip to tulip. Possibly. Possibly. Now, this sounds racist, but... Uh, wow. That Never is, start a sentence like that. You, you my, uh, my token black urban pastor friend, uh, wow. is that a word we go. that would go well we go. in a hip-hop song? Two dip. Two dip. It almost sounds like a dance move, doesn't it? Um, uh, did you take your medicine this morning? <laughs> I'm just trying to think about how to make Jesus relevant to the to the culture. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So right. instead of the two uh, instead of the tulip, we have the two dip. All right. Well, I don't know what books you've been reading lately, but I'm gonna pray for you, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna alert the elders of uh, Crossroads that you have officially lost your mind. I just did the wow emoji. There. Oh, I'm going to commentate on all these. I got to spice it up, man. Nobody wants a boring podcast where we just read the canon of Dort. I mean, that would be the worst I love the worst I podcast love ever. Let's change the name of this podcast from the Black and White Theology to We're Just Going to Read the Canon of Dort. No, no, no. Just confessionals. Just confessionals in general. Just, just different confessionals. We're just going to read them. Um, <laughs> All right, back to back to business here. So don't be a I get that was a that was a, a really dope definition of the atonement that I found from Canada Door. It was, it was, it was. Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Uh, so who limits the atonement? Piper says uh, both Calvinists and Arminians, and I think he gets a little snarky here. But you know, you'll find that you'll find that maybe not. But I think it's just that the Reformed theologians are so. Um, you know, they're just very matter-of-fact. And that's okay, as long as you yeah. you can handle that. So, he says... Uh, it needs to be matter-of-fact, you're right. Yeah, I guess that's what I mean. They, they're a little condescending <laughs> sometimes. A little condescending. We're, we try yeah, to... And that's, and that's not helpful. We, that's don't not appro- we don't approve of that on the black and white theology. At least, um, you know, I don't. So, Well, right, here's what he says. The Arminians limit the effectiveness of the atonement by denying that it purchased the promises of the new covenant for irresistible grace. So he, he's, he's saying we both limit the atonement. They're limiting it by um, denying that it purchased the promise of the new covenant for irresistible grace. And that's a key thing that I found in this is that um, that's really the difference between what Calvinists believe and Arminians believe is and mm-hmm. this will be, I believe, in the next episode, and we talk about irresistible grace. What that means is that when I got saved, I did not choose to get saved. Right. That I'm so depraved in my sin, I can't even choose grace. That the mm-hmm. definition of grace is that God gave me the grace for me to be able to believe. Like, he irresistibly gave me the grace so that I could believe because I'm so depraved that I, I can't, right. I don't have the goodness in me to even accept his grace. Right. And that's a difference because in an Arminian def, uh, gospel presentation, we use a lot of words even in, you know, I mean, all, all my upbringing is full of Arminian sorts of words of, you know, choose Jesus, you should accept Christ, you know, these sorts of right. things. and. And, and I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Tyler? Are those words still okay to use? Um, because theologically, we're saying God chose you, and and the way uh-huh. you described your conversion, you were, you could. I mean, you say it. You said it in another episode. You were overwhelmed by the gospel. It wasn't like you just sat there uh-huh. one day and your 
in your study and said, hmm, I think I'll choose Jesus over, right. you know, Muhammad or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I, I try not to use those words, um, choose and um, or give your life. I don't, I don't, I try not to use those, but like, I'm not a, a like a, a friend, a friend of mine, uh, visited my church. Like, so you don't do an altar call. I'm uh, like, no, nah, I don't, that's just, it's not what we do. Um, like there's times that like when we're so compelled, um, by the spirit after certain messages, like we'll say, Hey, there's a handful of people praying in the back. And if someone, if you would like to, uh, talk to someone about where you are with God, if you'd like to, uh, pray, if you'd like to kind of talk you know, talk through with the message, you can do that. But we don't do altar calls. We don't do, you know, raise your hand, everybody close their eyes. And if you if if you want to accept Jesus, raise your hand. We don't do any of that stuff at our church. Um, I just don't find it helpful because what I've, what I've run into, um, and this may be different, different places, but in Detroit, um, there's still a lot of Christendom. Like I grew up in church and there's still a lot of people who grew up in church. So you, you're like, oh, yeah, I prayed the sinner's prayer, or I, I, I surrendered my life to Jesus. But you see no spiritual fruit, and you see no no evidence of um, anything mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, spiritual, any any gospel fruit in their life. But, they, they, well, you know, I accepted Jesus, or I prayed this prayer. You know, they think that they have a very false sense of uh, security with God. So, yeah, we, we I find that stuff um, not helpful. For the record, Personally. for the record, Tyler does not speak on behalf of the Black and White Theology Podcast. We, no. as a podcast, <laughs> the entity that we are, are not opposed to altar calls. If you do altar no. calls at your church, nope. you can still send us money and candy. Absolutely. We'll still take your money yeah. and candy. We are not opposed as a podcast uh, to altar calls. I know. It, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not totally opposed to them. I hear it's you. It's just not something. It's like. Yeah, it's not something we do. Um, so. No, no, no. You make a good point. It and it, it applies because yeah, it's not. Or we're talking about limited atonement. We'll, we'll still talk about that, even though the U, the L, and the I are all kind of the same. So it's okay for us to very to, similar. To, a lot of overlap to yeah. bring up a new yeah, subject I, here. No, it definitely relates. And because I grew up in a Baptist church and we did altar calls a lot, and that the type of altar call where where the kind like you said, where it's like everyone in my youth group, it was bow your heads you know, raise your hands if you want to accept Jesus. Yeah. And then nobody looking around, you know, and then the youth pastor would look <laughs> and, then, and then he would follow up or tell you, hey, your friend raised their hand, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember bringing a, you know, I brought friends, unsafe friends to youth group events all the time. And uh, it was like this haunted house event that we did. And my, a friend of mine raised his hand and I was like really excited. And when my youth pastor told me that, and then I talked to him at school, you know, the next Monday and, and uh, I was like, hey, I, my youth pastor said, you, you know, you raised your hand. And he had, like, no idea what I was even talking about. He's like, oh. So, yeah, during that, that prayer thing where you, you know, wanted to give, give your life to Jesus. And he, he just was, like, clueless of what – he just yeah. – I don't know why he raised his hand. Um, but, yeah, we – I would say this. Might have uh, been stretching. <laughs> he, he may have, he might have just heard him say, "Raise your hand." And he was like, "Okay, right. <laughs> like, for real, for real, yeah." I'll, I'll listen. I don't know. Um, when I was a camp counselor, I think it was better because they they did do that, and it was a Baptist camp and stuff. But at least like the counselors were in the back, and so you would raise your hand, and then it, once you raised your hand, the speaker would say, "If you raise your hand, get up from your seat 
and go talk with your counselor. And at least then mm-hmm. you're you're talking with someone, you're praying with someone, you're res- right. you're responding to something God's doing in your life. And so, right. uh, yeah, I think that sort of manipulation to get people to quote make a decision so you can write down right. how many decisions were made. Uh, that that's right. that's not even. I, yeah, I struggle with that. That's um, yeah. There's there's harm done to the gospel there. One because it truncates the gospel to this girl, little, girl. Uh, you know, it's just truncated to this little, like, do you want to eat this breath mint or not? Okay, yes, I do. It's just it's like, like it means nothing. Uh, so yeah, what we do at Crossroads is we just we do we do a prayer invitation every Sunday, and in that prayer invitation, we have people in the back you can pray with. It's, you can pray about anything. We always mm-hmm. give a gospel presentation during the prayer time. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a good question. But but we certainly don't. I was even at a funeral recently, and I was just I was disappointed with how it was handled. It was a Christian guy. He's got kids who are still um, teenagers. You know, they don't have a dad anymore. And there was so much. This is a whole other topic, but. <laughs> there was so much emphasis put on like how he's in heaven now and we should clap and 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 be happy and I'm like these kids just lost their dad like they ain't got no daddy it just <laughs> it, that that in itself is bad yeah, theology uh, we'll get to that in another episode but they did they did this whole gospel presentation that took 40 minutes and it started with Adam and Eve and Abraham and he spent 10 minutes on uh, Isaac and Ishmael <laughs> I mean it was like Dude, what are you doing? And then he, he did yeah, a thing where everybody yeah. bowed their heads and raised their hand at this funeral, right? And, and then he had everybody pray the sinner's prayer. He said, I want everybody to pray this prayer because wow, okay, all right, okay. I, I want the, the people who raised their hand, I want them to like be comfortable saying it. And then we all clapped because, you know, 10 people raised their hand. And I just thought, like, if my dad died and I'm 15 years old, um, and everybody's clapping because 10 people just raised their hand. I don't know. That's a tangent, but it, it just happened a couple of weeks ago, and it's a good friend of mine, that, and I'm, I'm still upset about white. it. That's super what. Yeah. I mean, you can give a gospel presentation at a funeral. Yes. Um, I think you should. That's the reason, I, that's the reason, um, that's the reason mm-hmm. I wanted to eulogize my brother. Yes. Um, a good friend of mine, Mike Hanafi, uh, his son just um, yes. passed an untimely um untimely fashion and uh whatnot and he gave uh, an amazing gospel presentation at, at his son's funeral um so i think that's possible but that's i don't know what that was that you were involved in <laughs> yeah did, did mike have everyone bow their heads raise their hands to accept christ and then have everybody in the church pray the sinner's prayer which he you know, which is not. jesus come into my heart except forgive me my sins etc no. yeah so no sir, definitely didn't do that well if you, I, I think the, i think that um, that whole, and not to bag on Ar- Arminianism, but the whole uh, Charles Finney, that evangelistic way of gospel presentation, walking aisles, raising hands, uh, to your point. I mean, and honestly, there's churches who do that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, massive churches, you know, and I'm going to leave that alone. I, I caught myself mid-sentence. <laughs> I was gonna drop. I was gonna name drop like five of them. But um, there's churches who do that. It is very, very, very um, unfruitful and harmful to the gospel. Again, just to to talk about what, what limited atonement. I, I don't think you can. 
I don't think you can truly accept the gospel unless you understand Second Corinthians five twenty one. For he, for his sake, uh, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we may become the righteousness of God. Or Isaiah uh, fifty three verse six, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what I'm saying? That's it's not just this. I'm making a decision. I want a better life. I have a fuzzy feeling. I'm feeling I'm feeling guilty about my sin. No, you you need to understand the weight of the atonement, the substitutionary atonement, that the wrath, the judgment, the eternal separation from God that I earned, right. Christ accepted that on my behalf, that I can become righteous, that I can become a son or daughter of God. Uh, without that understanding, it's not just this simple prayer, prayer, walk an aisle, lift your hands. Um, you're not saved. Right. You have false. You have a false. Uh, you have a false assurance of salvation. And man, I, I see that. And I encounter that so often. Um, we're not like uh, Seattle. That's like super post Christian. Sure. Or the East Coast. Like, bro, everybody in Detroit. Not, let me not say everybody. Most people think that they are Christians and they're good with God. I'm so I'm. It's, it's, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. It's mm -hmm. mind blowing. But um, it's because they somewhere along the lines they picked up some false assurance because they did some spiritual step or they did some little spiritual hookajuka voodoo uh thing. It's like nah, nah, bro. You're not really saved. You don't understand the gospel. You have not. You have not. Um, surrendered the lordship of your life and enthroned Jesus as your savior and the lord of your life. You have false assurance. So, yeah, I, yeah we, we stay away from that stuff um, at our church. And we'll, I'm sure talk more about what you were just talking about when we get to the P, which is perseverance mm -hmm. of the saints. You're kind of starting to hit mm -hmm. on that a little bit. And I don't want to, and I, and I know you're not doing this either, like, we are not saying all times like the Charles Finney way of doing the gospel. It's it's a lot like Billy Graham, right? Like I think that's our yeah, very our generation and the Baptist church at large. That's just what we adopted is what we saw Billy Graham do. And it's mm -hmm. it's not at all saying that those are illegitimate uh, conversions. I mean, my dad accepted Christ watching a Billy Graham special on TV, you know, absolutely, um, man, yeah. and, and it's God uses all that stuff. Right. And, and yep. I, we're not mm -hmm. saying necessarily Billy Graham was wrong. Uh, right. what I think, I think two things with that one, uh, a lot of people who copied him. Yeah, were wrong. There's a lot of copycat sort of methodology <laughs> yeah. to it, but, mm -hmm. but, and then, and then when that starts happening, what happens is it, it waters down, the message you're responding to. So it becomes about mm -hmm. the response rather than about the message you're responding to, if that makes sense. Like right. you can share the right. gospel and say, however you phrase it, um, there can be a response time for the gospel while people are, you know, they just heard it and they're thinking about it and, and, um, and those sorts of things. But if I think what we've done is we've been like, oh, that really works. You know, when you just, get people to raise their hands and get them to come down front. And we did that in our VBS growing up in my Baptist church. You know, we would, we would tell all these kids about hell and then we'd have them raise their hands if they didn't, <laughs> they didn't want to go there. And then we would tell the church. Who's, who's going to say, no, nah, I'm straight. I want to go to hell. 
we tell our church that 50 <laughs> kids accepted Christ this week and everybody would clap. And, and I mean, the Holy Spirit, like, I'm not saying you can't. Look, I was four years old when I accepted Christ. And I probably, in an Arminian setting, you know, but, like, God used that in my life. Like, that's when I first remember having a knowledge of the gospel in my life and responding to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean, and it, it wasn't in a, a VBS setting, um, but that doesn't mean that, like, well, yeah, we just we just need to be careful what we're actually communicating in those settings yeah. when we say we're telling people the gospel. And that'll be a good episode is, like, what is the gospel, right? Because we've really truncated the gospel. Um, yeah, so, but let me, let me jump back to some of these uh, limited atonement notes because uh, it is helpful to get a better understanding of this as a foundation. Um, so I already read that. Uh, we talked about defi- definite atone- definite atonement. Excuse me, I can't talk again. There we go. <laughs> he also says it can be called particular redemption, which is the same idea as definite atonement, meaning it is designed for definite individuals who are effectively saved by it, or meaning that God has particular people in view in the design of the atonement. Uh, now here's a question he asks: Do Calvinists water down John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that'd be a verse Arminians use to say, no, it's not definite to, or limited. It's it's he loves the whole world. Um, mm-hmm. Piper says no, because John 3.16 affirms that God loved the world so that anyone who believes will be saved by the death of his son. Both mm-hmm. Calvinists and Arminians affirm this. All who believe mm-hmm. will be saved by the atonement of Jesus. So what's the dispute? Mm-hmm. Here's the dispute back to what we said before calvinists believe that the death of christ accomplished or purchased something more than arminians believe it did namely the effectual grace to believe and to come Mm -hmm. to christ all the irresistible grace uh so he's mentioning something he already said so uh calvinists believe that what christ accomplished was the effectual grace needed to believe he gives some scripture again i think this is what I like about Calvinism. There's always just a whole bunch of scripture. I don't have to agree with what John Piper just said. Um, a lot of Arminians just reject it because it's like, that doesn't make sense. I disagree. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense that he would only atone a particular group of people. But when you, what I do have to agree with is scripture. And, and, and that's ultimately what, what kind of got me. Um, he has a bunch of scripture here. I'll just read a few of them. 2 Timothy 2, 25. Uh, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So if perhaps God may grant them repentance, mm-hmm. leading to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, that's that's real clear. That's just like one verse. It kind of knocks it out of the park. He gives a whole bunch more. We heard Acts 16, 14 uh, last time as well with Lydia. The Lord opened mm-hmm. her heart to respond to the gospel John 6:65 this is Jesus saying no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father yeah um, so those are pretty clear uh, one one point piper made that i pushed back on a little bit um, i wanted to know the evidence of why he said this why do calvinists well you're a blasphemer <laughs> well i i am promoting the two dip right now so that is Calling it the two-dip in a reform circle would be like changing the name of Corinthians or something. I mean, that's that, – that's that, that, see, but I'm not officially reformed, so I can say these things. You're a heathen. You have to say that because you're officially reformed. So, And you're allowed I'm to. Def- 
because your reform people are very condescending and they they like you know so it's it's fine you can be, you can be that way that's part of your doctrine so thank you <laughs> we could add that to the two dip we could add a c oh, in oh. there like to be con you know condemning and condescending i mean of other people oh, yeah. all right so uh, uh why do calvinists believe that the atonement purchases irresistible grace good question he says mainly because the new covenant promises this grace to God's people and the blood of Jesus purchased this covenant. I said, where, where does the new covenant promise, uh, this type of grace, this effectual grace to believe? Um, I think the best evidence in scripture are the ones we just read. We just see it when someone mm -hmm. accepts Christ, that it was God who granted them repentance. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there is some helpful stuff in here. Um, I will read a few more scriptures uh, specifically about the new covenant. See, some of his new covenant stuff, he just listed verses about the new covenant, but it didn't have anything to do with effectual grace. So when you get to, um, Jeremiah is more helpful, I think, than the Hebrews ones. So Jeremiah 31, 33, 31 to 33 talks about the new covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house mm -hmm. of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, uh, da, 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 my covenant which they broke. Here we go. Quote, by, by this covenant, which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, I will put my law within them, and on mm. their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So there, with the new covenant, you have God putting the law within them and writing mm -hmm. it on their heart. So it's God yeah. doing it to his chosen people. Uh, and then Jeremiah... 32, 38 to 40 says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way yep. that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them uh, that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. So again, in the new covenant, God is putting the fear of God in their hearts. It wasn't that right. they decided I'm going to fear God. God put it in their heart. He put the law on their heart. Um, it's God taking the action. Uh, he, he has Ezekiel in here as well, saying, I will... Yeah, I, will, I was just, yeah, just going to read Ezekiel 36, yeah. Go ahead, if you got it, you can. I got Ezekiel eleven nineteen as well as 36, 26 uh, to 27, uh, so... Uh, yeah, Ezekiel 20, uh, I'm flipping, da 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 da, da. Go ahead, I'll read, um, I'll read Ezekiel eleven I'll, nineteen, and then you go with Ezekiel uh, 36... Uh, 26. So, okay. 11, 19 um, says, I will give them one heart. Go ahead. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart, the, take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Go ahead. Very similar. Uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place. Uh, my spirit within you, and I will cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinance. Yeah, and so I think in our, I mean, our, if I'm reading this as an Arminian, I would say, well, God is saying that about anyone he saves. Like, when I accept Christ, God takes out my heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. And the, the argument Calvinists are making is, again, it really goes back to that. The common denominator where, where the argument splits off is, when you accept Christ, that a Calvinist right. would say, you, without God putting that heart of flesh in you first, like God does the first action 
for you to accept Christ. So even if you have this feeling inside of you that I think, uh, I, I forget who it was, the, that warm feeling inside of you. There's a theologian that said something <laughs> like that. It's, it sounds silly that the way I'm butchering it, but I have this feeling inside of me. Maybe I'll Google it and then I'll sound smart. Um, and, that, and, and that's true. You, you could have that feeling inside of you or it just clicks. It just makes sense. But the Bible's saying that that's God. Like when the scales drop from Paul's eyes, the scales were actual scaly things, but it's a metaphor we use for God made the scales fall. God made it make sense, you know, in his mind. Um, and same here we see with these covenant texts that God is the one taking out the heart of stone. And you'll see, too, it's only from his covenant people. It's still a limited mm-hmm. amount of people. The covenant. Yeah. Now, the new covenant is open to Jew and Gentile, but the idea right. of a covenant is still, especially, I mean, the old covenant was certainly, there's no Arminianism in the old covenant. I mean, it's a chosen mm-hmm. people. Israel's a chosen yep. people, right? So, I mean, th- that gives a lot of weight, I think, to this as well. I mean, also, First uh, Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen uh, race, royal priesthood. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, a people that I called out of darkness into the marvelous light to declare the excellencies of uh, Christ. So, again, it, God is calling, God is choosing, God is redeeming, God is putting, uh, doing the, the, the heart transplant. God is, God is doing all the work. We're just willing participants. Yeah. I'm looking up my, my quote about the warm feeling, right? I think it was a Mormon. I think it was a Mormon. That's, <laughs> I think that's a Mormon. Oh, it's always new. <laughs> oh, your colors are finally starting to come out. Let's say I have something called the burning in the bosom. Well, you know. Oh. Gee. Man, you just cut out again. Are you on some jacked up Wi-Fi again? Do not make me go No, I'm it. at my All right. Well. Whatever, whatever you just said, when I maybe when I said bosom, the uh, the whole podcast just blew up. That's your uh, software. Your um, <laughs> covenant eyes. Your covenant eyes. <laughs> My covenant eyes was like <laughs> filter block. It was the Mormons' covenant eyes. I'm trying to study theology here. All right, I don't have time to read that right now. But don't quote me on what I said earlier. Um. Yeah. All right. Let's see if there's anything does, else. Does your church know that you're a Mormon? <laughs> Here's a big one. Here's a big one from Hebrews, and this would be the last one I read. Uh, this would be the last one I read. Hebrews 10, 14 to 18. I will read parts of it. Uh, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. So that's a good one. I think that answers my original question. Mm-hmm. Where does the new covenant say will be given effectual grace? Uh, I think it's important to show where the new covenant says it. And yeah, Hebrews 10 drives it home pretty well that God's putting the laws on our heart, and on their mind, he's writing them. And because of that, their sins and their lawless deeds, he will remember no more. So, um, and, and I, what I would say to listeners, and, and, I'll, and I'll wrap up my limited atonement thoughts with this. And if, if you want to uh, share anything, Tyler, you can. Um, there's some other good stuff here in the notes that I might get to. But uh, 
would just be I think the idea of limited atonement or definite atonement it uh, yeah it doesn't I don't like it it doesn't make sense to me it seems like that's against God's character and his nature I and, and that's the Arminian argument for not believing it and, and I think that mm-hmm. I agree I, I don't think it makes sense I, I don't like it I don't agree with it the, but but you, you have to argue against the scriptures that we just read. So if you approach scripture as, as God's revelation and his revealed truth to us, I just have mm-hmm. to submit to scripture and say, oh, okay, that's how it is. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's really, I don't think there's any scriptural argument uh, f- yeah. for anything else. I mean, God's character and who he is is who he reveals in scripture. And really, yep. if you get down to it, God's holiness and our total depravity, well, then it is in line with, with his nature. I mean, we talked about that in the total depravity episode where it's like yeah. God's nature as a holy God is to judge yeah. everybody. That's that's it. Yep. But but in his loving and merciful nature, he adopted some. And yeah. that's, I mean, you, you just, you, Scripture won me over, and it continues to win me over when it comes to these topics. Yeah, when you when you get to uh, reading scripture and then putting how you feel and what you think into it, you end up like Carlton Pearson. Uh, you know who that is? Carlton no, I was going to ask you, who is that? I don't know who that is. So Carlton, Carlton Pearson was a huge Azusa uh, back in the day, the 80s and 90s, huge Azusa pastor, went to Oral Roberts, had a huge platform on, uh, what's that Christian TV show, channel, I don't watch it. TV and TV, Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, groups of Church of God in Christ. But um, he wrestled with God and wrestled with what Scripture taught um, because uh, I believe it was a grandfather died. And grandfather never accepted Jesus. Um, so this huge, I mean, his church is 8,000 people in Oklahoma. Huge mm-hmm. church, huge platform. Um, and he ended up becoming a universalist, hmm. changing what he, there's a, there's a Netflix documentary on him. Uh, they call it Come Sunday. I haven't watched it, um, but it's on his life, um, how he became a, a universalist, and now he's accepted by all these mainstream people. He was on um, Good, Good Morning America and all these channels. Oh, okay. because now he's universalist. He said Jesus died for everybody. He takes it to the whole other extreme. So mm. you never have to, you never have to uh, surrender to Christ. You never have to make a profession of faith. You never have to do anything. It's just Jesus died for all. So, or Rob Bell, or you, you, when you when you right. when you see scripture, read scripture, and then you say, "But no, nah, I feel this, or I believe this." You superimpose what you think and what you feel. Uh, you end up you end up like those cats. Yeah, and that's a good point because there are things about, and I and I joke about sort of how this new reform movement can feel sort of condescending, and it and it can, but. I think there's some there's, of them are, <laughs> but there's there's something to be said for like, and this is how I try to explain it to people in my own church who are struggling with some of these kind of controversial issues about scripture, whatever they may be, be it homosexuality or uh, things along the lines of universalism, or even debates. And 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 uh, Lord help us when when we get to talking about complementarianism and egalitarianism and all those sorts of things, right? <laughs> but I don't have a good way to word it in a podcast. I think it would make more sense like drawing it out on a whiteboard. But mm-hmm. I think 
like what I respect the most about the this this new reform tradition, which is a reformation, really. I think back to because uh, a lot of the reformed church today, as far as like the RCA, for example, you know, they as far as far as I know, I mean, I I, I take a class at a RCA seminary, um, so I, I get a little bit, but they don't see scripture the way you and I do. I mean, they. Um, it, I don't know about they as the whole denomination, but it's just it's a little bit unsettling to me. Um, and well, I mean, people 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 have said um, um, Calvin College has even changed. Sure, yeah, and and that's down. The, you know, so that's the CRC school. And it's I, named after it's named after John Calvin of all people. Right, right, yeah. Uh, so my my point is that what let, let's say you. You have, let's say, Tim Keller, John Piper. You know, you, you don't have to like everything about John Piper, for sure. But what I know is, he is trying to just give you the Bible, and he doesn't really care. He doesn't care what what you think of him. I mean, I think he kind of comes off as a little bit of a jerk sometimes. Um, and 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 I'm not sure. I don't, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I I, I think I, I just think like. Well, I'm, I'm trying to give him a compliment here. It doesn't sound like it. Um, <laughs> what I really respect is he doesn't care what people think about him. Right. He's trying to just show here's what the Bible says, right? Yeah, and, yeah. He's not. He's not. He's not. He, he's not uh, swayed by public opinion. Yeah, and, and I would say yeah, maybe there's like this margin in the middle, this like soft tissue area. Maybe it's about like women's roles or something like that. Where, you know, there's going to be, you could talk about hermeneutics and you can talk about like, hey, we, we can go here and we're still within orthodoxy and those things like that. What makes me very nervous, it's, it's what you just talked about with Rob Bell and with the other guy, the, the Oklahoma guy. Um, once you start down that road where you stop taking scripture. Yeah. You know, if you look at scripture and you say, I'm going to follow this and I don't care what anyone else thinks, uh, that's a, you, you know, you're in a place of security and truth. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, the, 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 um, what's that thing called the plumb line. I just talked about Galatians one. Mm -hmm. My sermon was on Galatians one, two weeks ago. And Paul gives the plumb line in Galatians one, six to nine. He says, this is the gospel if an angel mm -hmm. an angel shows up to you like an angel did to Joseph Smith and to Muhammad, if an angel shows up to you and tells There's you that. a gospel <laughs> different than this, he says, "Let him be eternally condemned." He's saying, yes, I, I, "Do not change from this gospel." That's the plumb line. And yep. when we start to look at the Bible and say, "Well, I think this makes more sense," like I don't think God would do this limited atonement thing, even though the Bible says as we've shown on paper, black and white theology, uh, it does. It does say limited atonement. Once you make that step, you you then are you have a different plumb line then. The plumb line is no longer, this is what the Bible says. It's now, yeah, but culture. What I think. Yeah, I but feel. what I yeah. think. Yeah, but I just heard this really great TED Talk. And yeah, but this. And so um, I would rather stand before God someday with the Bible and even if we got like I don't know ten percent of the th stuff wrong because we are you know we we misread the cultural piece of it or something like that, I just feel way more comfortable with that assurance of scripture underneath my feet than I do 
just jumping outside of that, outside of those bounds, and being like, no, I'm going to take the parts of scripture I like. And then you, you, you quickly go from this, like, y you often see it where you start with the subject that might be like a women in ministry subject that I think I'm very mm -hmm. torn on. I think that's the hardest subject in all of the Bible to interpret. I think there's very biblical uh, explanations to both sides. But when you, you could start on that road, I see this in denominations. where And then next, homosexuality in, in the sense of, and, and I always like to preface what I say here, homosexual the acts, the, the, the behavior, mm -hmm. the sexual acts mm -hmm. um, are... are the, the, these because um, I don't I, I, and we can talk about this later I don't think the the attraction or orientation biblically I, I don't think there's evidence that if you're attracted that you could even control that or that that, that part of it is sinful but it's like lust uh, when I'm attracted to a woman I can't control that but when I choose to lust over her that is a you know that is a sin of mine uh, so but then these denominations say well that's not a sin at all like we're just gonna let that be right. That's not right. a, because, and now you've you've done something to the Bible. I'm not as concerned about that one specific issue. It's not about oh, what do I think about people that that um, engage in homosexual activity? Uh, that, that's not the point. The point is you just did something to the Bible, and the next step right. is Christian universalism. Then it's like, well, you know, why not? And, and then at that point, what are you anymore? You're just somebody talking about your own thoughts and opinions. You you pick and choose. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what won me over. Um, I heard men like um, R.C. Sproul, and he's a grumpy old man, and I don't really uh, rock with him no, no more as much, but John, uh, John MacArthur. I mean, I just heard John MacArthur teach the Bible. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I want to do that. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to stand up and try to sway people with, you know, my my charm and my wit and all those things. He just stood flat footed and he preached the Bible one verse at a time. Yeah. You know, R.C. Sproul unpacked complicated theology on on um God's sovereignty, on God's holiness. I mean, I just listened to you know, that's what made me say, you know what? This is the this is the stream I, I believe I'm, I want to swim in, because they were coming from a biblical perspective. Um, I don't care what you think and and how you feel. Yeah, you know opinions are like noses. Everybody got them, and yeah, it don't it don't matter, man. It just I, <laughs> man, it, it don't say. Yeah, you know when, when you be, when you begin to compromise the gospel. You take the power of the gospel. You, you, it's just it's a toothless tiger. You take the power from it. I got one more little tidbit on limited atonement. Then we'll get to a couple things in the mailbag, and then we will wrap it up. Uh, this is just responding to a question that I think is a good one that often gets asked: If there's limited atonement, why mm -hmm. do why do evangelism at all? You know, why share the gospel? And we can talk about this more at length later if it sounds interesting, mm -hmm. but I just wanted to give one verse that uh, Piper gives, John 11, 51 through 52. Being high priest that year, Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not mm -hmm. for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God 
who are scattered abroad. And mm. the point that Piper makes is when we do evangelism, we are gathering together the children of God who are scattered abroad. And we are commanded to do that, that that's part of God's plan for how how that will happen is us going and doing that. We don't know who they are, and so right. we're, we're going out to gather them together. Right. Uh, yeah. Like I, that yeah. verse says. I mean, and I, I think, I, I think, because um, I used to wrestle with that. Like, okay, if, if, if God if God calls, God elects, and God saves, what is the purpose of doing evangelism? I come to realize that because I don't know, I don't know who's called. Yeah. I don't know who God has elected. I need to tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. I need to tell everyone I can about Christ. Yeah. Um, and what, what, I I don't take joy in anything else other than seeing people know and follow Jesus. Amen. Like yeah. that that is the most like we we did a uh we did a baptism a few weeks ago. You know, I got the opportunity to baptize my son. I mean, there's there's seeing my my oldest daughter baptized a few years ago. You know, seeing people that, you know, started walking with our church a year and a half, 2 years ago. They thought they were saved. They thought they understood the gospel. But after a while, I was like, no, I really don't. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, now I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing people who thought they knew it, thought they had it, truly come to saving, um, come to the knowledge of Christ and, and know and follow him and um, get baptized. Nothing, nothing brings me joy. Nothing brings me more joy. So we should, that should light a, a evangelistic fire because we don't know. Right. We don't know. Well, we're commanded to share the gospel, and yeah. it's, it's obviously God's plan, just like mm-hmm. it was for the Israelites to be a light to the world. I mean, we are his yep. plan, and so uh, that's— I, I wanna, Ain't no plan B. Yeah, yeah, and we're, I want to be a good and faithful servant, right? I mean, it's, it's a—yeah, so that's—and I, I like that, too, because it, it frees me up to share the gospel. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I went to an Arminian uh, denominational gathering— with a friend of mine and man, the, 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 it was a church planting sort of conference and the talks about like the pressure put to go like save the world, <laughs> the pressure to save the world on these church planters. I felt all that condemnation I used to carry around with me just buried on top of me again. I had to remember yeah, like, no, that's not the motivation to, 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 um, I am not, I, it is not on me to save the world. Like, that's on Jesus, and it's his plan. Mm-hmm. He gets to use me to be a part of it, and I take great joy in that. Absolutely. But the pressure's on him. And Arminianism, I mean, the pressure's on you as an individual Christian, and that that's just not a weight that anybody is meant to bear. So We can't bear that weight. No, that's we cannot. I mean, that's got me into deep depression, you know, despair. Ne- never was suicidal, but wanting to die for sure i mean as far as like mm. church planting and the weight and the like feeling of failure and all these sorts of things that's some deep stuff so yeah, yeah. all right is. we now are going to get into our mailbag mail i will never get that that uh drop right one of these days so you can email us. Please email us. We told you a while ago to stop emailing us. We want your email again. 
Our email is B. No, you told them that. I didn't say that. Well, I speak on speak behalf of the podcast. You definitely do not. <laughs> BW Theology. That uh-huh. is B. B as in black. W as in white. Theology. At gmail.com. You can also add us on the Twitter at BW Theology. We will add you back and you can send us your messages there. Uh, so we have a few messages. I would like to begin with a response from our good friend Chris Wandor. He says, Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you very much for spending a whole episode on answering my question. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Well, Chris, your reply leaves a little bit to be desired. I'll be honest. Because I believe, Tyler, we had a deal with Chris that if we, we spent the whole episode on his question last time, that he would hit the streets of Clio and he would get at least 100 people to subscribe to our podcast. And uh, frankly, I don't think That's that happened. I, I don't think that happened. I definitely don't think that happened. Yeah. So, Chris, uh, get out there and do your job. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Also, Tyler, on Facebook this week, I posted a question for some podcast recommendations. I need I need a few mm-hmm. to listen to. As many many people wrote in many many uh, podcast names, not one person mentioned the Black and White Theology podcast. Wow, that made me realize how terrible of a job you're doing. Wow, that's racist to make okay. this podcast popular. Well, you're racist, so um, there's that. I don't know. Listen, I don't know. I'm going to file a class action suit against against you for your discrimination. (laughs) We ever... What do you want me to do? do? All I want is a reaction. That's all I want. When When I poke the bear, I just want the bear to growl. That's all I want. You know what? won't let me be great just want to hold the brother down that's, that's all right. that's, that's right that's all i want i just want to look i just want to poke the bear i want the bear to chase me i want to i want to be scared that's all i want you're right all right this is back to we need a we need a good race question here we have a few a few questions in our mailbag yeah Trying to get to a good one here on race. So, let's do this one. This is from Mark. Hello, Mark. What up, Mark? Race question. Is cultural appropriation a new... <laughs> hey, quit laughing. I'm trying to read a question here. I'm trying to read oh, a question. man. I got to Google. I love this already. I, gotta, I love this already. I got to Google what that word even means. Stop using like six-syllable words around here. All right. Is cultural appropriation a neutral thing? When is it demeaning and devaluing cultural heritage? And when mm. is it, slash, can it be a part of healthy multiculturalism? <laughs> Go ahead, Tyler. Uh, so you want me to give a good little snapshot of what cultural appropriation is? Sure. So cultural appropriation, it's funny, I was just talking to a friend about this, uh, talking to a friend of mine about this. Uh, cultural appropriation is usually uh, when the majority um, takes slices of culture from minorities. So 
I, it's funny that now everyone celebrates Cinco de Mayo. Really? Why? 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 Why are white and black people celebrating Cinco de Mayo? Or when you see um, art forms like jazz uh, co-opted by the majority? Like jazz music was started by blacks. Uh, blues music, hip hop. You know. Yeah. Uh, the way the way um, the way black uh, the way uh, black and brown people dress, dance, act, talk, walk. Um, cultural appropriation is when the majority sees that, like, oh, look at that, huh? And it, and it becomes a a new phenomenon. I, me and my wife were talking about this a few weeks ago. How it was an article written by a black woman. How it was about cultural appropriation by from the majority context how they are tired of every time Kim Kardashian wears uh, her braid saying, oh, look, she's being like Bo Derek when black women have been wearing cornrows for literally hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, how it's popular, how it's, how it's ghetto when a black girl throws her hair in cornrows, but when a white woman does it, oh, it's a new style. <laughs> or now, or, you know, just, yeah, that's, that's the long and short of it. But um, I, I find it hilarious because, White people think they don't have culture. Have you ever noticed that? White people, oh, we don't have culture. Right. But it, part of that is true because it's, a lot of what, quote, is, quote, white culture is usually co-opted from minorities. You look at jazz music. Most, now mostly jazz music is done by uh, predominantly whites. When it was started, it was all black, you know. Uh, and it, it, it's usually a slow, trickling process of something that was taken from the minority, um, from minorities, and it becomes popular. And then minorities are like, "Well, we don't want it no more because y'all then uh, took it from us." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find. Uh, I'm looking on the Google machine is letting me down right now. There was a. This was in the news uh, within the last year. Man, I wish I could find it. It's a type mm-hmm. of, of bread, and I think. Wonder Bread? <laughs> yes. That is exactly it. Um it might have been, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna man, so we're doing this this is live entertainment, baby. Live entertainment. I wanna keep looking for the exact um definition. No, the exact story. But it was this there's a certain type of bread and it was made by an oppressed group of people. I don't remember if it was black slaves or if it was maybe Native Americans, but it was a type of bread made by an oppressed people, and it was made out of very simple ingredients that only poor people, you know, would have made. And then today, it's 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 like it became this popular sort of trendy thing to eat at these really <laughs> uppity like hipster white hipster you know cafes, and they're they're making money on it and stuff. And there was like this debate about like that's cultural appropriation in in the uh, the insensitive way where it's like you've taken this mm. thing that isn't yours and it's actually a piece of op- a part of oppression and like you're mm-hmm. using it for profit and then there's the other side of it that's like well aren't we like honoring them that we're using like their thing no. you know that that sort of thing <laughs> and um, no. does that ring a bell at all probably not because I'm, I'm no not, I'm, I'm no gonna, I'm gonna keep looking that- for it. No, but that sentiment I think is disingenuous because um, it usually it never it never benefits 
from nothing, never. It seldom, if ever, benefit the people that it was co-opted from. Uh, you look at Vanilla Ice, you know, or fill in the blank. Eminem, I'm from Detroit. I'm not a yeah. huge Eminem guy. Uh, but Eminem is point blank honest. Like, my favorite rappers are Red Man, Tupac, Biggie. I mean, he, he gives up, and he, he gives props and says, hey, I realize that I'm a, a white man standing on the shoulders of black um, black pioneers, but who sells 20 million records? Who tours across the world? It's Eminem. You know, he says his favorite rapper is Red Man. You 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 line up ten Eminem fans. I bet you maybe one or two of them know who Red Man is. But that's their favorite rapper's favorite rapper. But all they know is I'm Slim Shady. I'm the. <laughs> that's all they know. They have no idea that he, you know, co-opted and borrowed a lot from Red Man. That's the that's the epitome of cultural appropriation. Red Man doesn't benefit from that. Uh, so I, I I don't think. I mean I mean look at the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones, uh, song Howling Wolf, Lightning Hopkins, and, and they even Muddy Waters. They took those guys on tour. They 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 paid homage to the blues musicians. Um, I believe. Uh, uh, Lightning Hopkins and and Little Walter. These guys died penniless. Um, I can't remember. Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf died in a uh, died. He couldn't even. They couldn't even afford a headstone for his family. His family couldn't afford a headstone. Mm-hmm. He died penniless. While the Rolling Stones remade his songs and Muddy Waters, they remade their songs and they and they and they made millions of dollars. So seldom, if ever, does the one who is uh, getting culture and and, and swag. And lingo, and da- I mean, look at all these dance phrases, uh, all these dance crazes. Every every year, there's a new dance craze that started usually by some little black kid. They go, <laughs> some little black kid does something on social media, and then some white kid does it, and then the white kids on Ellis. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. I mean, this is, I mean, this, it's just always how it is, um, and seldom, if ever, does the one who is getting the culture, the swag, the the flavor, the the recipe, the style, the music genre. Uh, Elvis stole everything. Big Mama Thornton. And he, that's all, you know, they steal. Uh, and seldom if ever does the one who is getting co-opted from benefit. So I, I think it's even, even like I use Eminem for the example game, even Eminem gives props and gives back. But I mean, you know, he tries, but seldom if ever does it ever uh, become a benefit. Yeah, but it's part of human nature. We're all imitators. So what's the solution there? You know, if um, I, I believe that the what I was referring to is called fry bread, from what I can find, and it's a Native American food from the Southwest, sort of a Native American Mexican Native uh, kind of in that the border area, mm-hmm. and. Um, where it's just, it was a bread of survival, like it's this cheap staple, and then it started being used in these, uh, you know, white restaurants for profit, and it mm-hmm. became this sort of niche novelty f- food. <laughs> and uh, so, what's what's the solution there? I mean, can because it's it seems like the solution is 
with even some of the musicians you mentioned, like if you are financially honoring the person you stole your, your idea from, like, is that enough? Or should the white person just like stay away from that, you know, altogether, which doesn't really seem completely possible, but. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think that, you know, to use the, to use the music example, if, if they're like the Rolling Stones took those cats on tour, but those dudes were getting no royalties there you go. from, they were getting no royalties. Again, Howlin' Wolf died with an unmarked tune, with an unmarked uh, headstone. You know what I'm saying? While the Rolling Stones are traveling the world singing his song. Right. You know, so they, they didn't benefit at all. So I, I would say find a way. If you're going to appropriate, um, one, be genuine and say, hey, like Vanilla Ice stole was basically, Vanilla Ice was white MC Hammer. Pants, mm-hmm. swag dancing everything uh say hey yo you know i you know i want to give i want to give big ups to MC. I, I got this from him uh instead of just kind of stealing and co-opting and, and, and finding a way that those who uh you're borrowing from can benefit like this like this restaurant find that tribe find that uh find those people those indigenous people and give them part of it Right, you know what I'm saying? You, it, you, you didn't come up with this, you know. Boney James, jazz musician, you know, they remake jazz standards all the time. Find a way to benefit uh, Miles Davis and Coltrane and uh, Charles Mingus. You're remaking their music. Find a way to benefit their family to keep, um, since you're benefiting financially. So, I mean, that would be one, one tangible solution for me. But I, I think. The main thing is what, what bothers uh, people of color uh, is like when you see a Kim Kardashian, when they, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm bringing back the Bo Derek. No, you're not bringing back Bo Derek from the 70s. You're, 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 you're actually, because Bo Derek got it from women of color who've been braiding their hair like that for hundreds of years. Right. You know, be honest. Don't lie. You know, mm. you didn't come up with it. You, you got this from a different culture. And it, um, it does show you talk about systemic racism in our culture, you know, this idea, well, I'm not racist because I don't think this way about people of color. But look at our culture where something only matters culturally when a white person does it. So for real, yeah, it's not, you know, it, black people been doing that. Oh, whatever. It's almost just like, oh, they're the savages, you know, like that old that old mindset that used to have in America. Like that's the three fifths of the person, you know, but oh, Kim Kardashian did it and she's white or that, you know, or, or you see these cultural trends. It could be, you know, some of the music you've talked about. It's like, well, this person did it and now it's cool. Like now it actually means something. It actually, it actually matters. I'll actually, yeah, now, now I'll actually listen. Uh, there, there's a, a book called a book called black like me. And uh, it was written, I believe back in the sixties or around there. And it was a white guy from the North. And he uh, w- was able to color his skin black, and it's a uh, it's like this seminal read sort of thing. Um, wow. uh, it's read in you know colleges and all this sort of stuff now. So he colored his skin black, and he went down to I believe it was Mississippi or Alabama, and he lived there for a period. Oh of, Lord, have mercy! Yeah, period of time, <laughs> and then he wrote a book called Black Like Me, 
which was, hey, white people, like, this is what it's really like to be black in the South. Like, this is terrible. You know, we, this is an atrocity. In this point that um, I was in an understanding racism training that one of the black facilitators said was, okay, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with this, you know, like, black like me? What's, what's wrong with that? What's, what's wrong with it is why did it take a white person to tell mm-hmm. culture what it was like to be black? Because nobody believes the black person. Like, it, you, a year. you could have asked any black person in Mississippi or Alabama what it was like. And they've been saying Damn. it for years. And nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody cares. There's no yep. best-selling book written about what the black person from Mississippi thought felt it was like to be black. Nobody cared. But when a yep. white person who doesn't even have to endure it, who just did it for fun to, to write a book and make a boatload of money off of, right, yep. too. Like, That's uh, right? I mean, now everybody cares. And so yeah. you you hear that and you're like, what I'm saying is, wow, we have to be sobered by that. Like, I have to admit my own guilt in that to be like, yeah, I would be really interested as a white guy to hear a white guy's perspective on that. And I, and I, and I really wouldn't care what a black person thought about that. Or like, I'd want to... I'd want to color myself black and go do that. That sounds like a great writing project. That's all mm. racism. That's all like innate systemic racism that's ingrained into me. And when we start seeing that, it's not to beat ourselves up is to say, once you can identify the problem, you can say, oh man, like I'm a part of this. <laughs> like I need yeah. to be a part of the solution now as well. So that's a great. The, 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 the main, the main issue and, um, point of contention with a cultural appropriation is it's not valuable until it's white. Yeah, exactly. Hip hop, hip hop was not mainstream and valuable until Eminem. Yeah. Rock and roll was not rock and roll until Elvis ripped off Big Mama Thornton until the Rolling Stones ripped off Howling Wolf, Lightning Hopkins, uh, Muddy Waters, Lil Walter. But these men, these, these men were the men who created this blues that would, be watered down and bastardized and ruined and called rock and roll, but that's a whole other story. Uh, these men created this gritty, grimy, uh, soulful art form, and the Rolling Stones and the Beatles took it. We called it the UK uh, invasion when those people was in our own backyard. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. right. You know? And yeah. then now we have rock and roll. But, I mean, it's not valuable until it's white. It's not, it, it's not, it has to be sanitized. We gotta get. We gotta get it. And I mean, it's the way we. The way we. I mean, that's part of the reason why I love. I, I love being black. I don't. I don't. You know, I'm a Christian first, but I. I don't mind being black. You know, our people are. We have swag. We have style. We invent. We create culture. I mean, you look at our culture. You look at our. You look at our country. We keep culture moving, musically. Yeah. You know, visually. And it is, and it, when it gets to Middle America, when it gets to Topeka, Kansas, or Wyoming, is usually a sanitized, bastardized version of something that a black person has already did. Right. You know. So, but yeah, it's it's not it's not culturally accepted. It's not valued. It's not honored. It's not esteemed until it's white. There's so. that reminds me of something related. There's a guy named Mark Charles. He's Native American, and uh, he, I've, I did. He was in an understanding racism training that I that I that I did, and he was it was really helpful to get a Native American perspective 
mm-hmm. you talk about the history. It's you know not just black white, but the the wound between the native people and whites is is deeper and <laughs> and and goes further back yeah. even than white black, which is hard to even imagine. And yeah. so he made several just a point that I I will always remember. It's how Native American people in the U.S. they have zero political voice, and yeah. we we say it as well everybody gets to vote and so it's a democracy right and this this idea we'll talk about in another episode like i don't see color or i'm colorblind no. uh you only hear that ever from white people right and, and they're, 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 i've they're, never heard a black person say that and i guarantee a native american person has never said that and and, and the the reason um so maybe ben carson <laughs> All right, sorry. Tyler does not speak for the entire. You can still send us your money and your candy. We want to protect our sponsors on this on this show. We don't have any sponsors, but we'd like some. Well, we have one. So I, we have our friend. I don't know if we can give a shout out. Like, I don't want to like out people for like sending. Don't blow the spot up. Right, but thank you. You know who you are. We love you. Thank you for the book and the candy and the beef jerky that you sent. It was actually chicken jerky, which was delicious. Wow. Yeah, I like that. So this Mark Charles point about the Native Americans, um, they don't have a political voice. They get to vote. But if mm-hmm. it's a democracy where let's say you're going to vote for a state senator and point zero five percent of the state population is Native American and Native Americans want their interests represented at the table because, I mean, honestly, they've been screwed over a thousand times by the U.S. And there's still and I, I'm certainly no scholar an expert on the, the situation today, but I know that it's not good, right? It's, it's not good. No. And so they can all vote for a politician. It could be a white politician. Sure. Uh, but you know, but somebody that's going to represent their interests. If I'm going to run for, oh, let's say, let's say what, what I mean is this, let's say I'm going to run for, for office in Michigan and I'm saying like, I'm going to champion the native Americans. And that's my, <laughs> that's my main thing that I'm going to run on. That. They they they'd all vote for me. I'd get point zero five percent of the of the vote. More likely, it would be a Native American person, right, running for office. They'd get the vote of the Native American people, but white and people aren't. Win. White people aren't going to vote for that. They don't care. Right. I mean, white people are going to vote for the interest of them, of of white people. Yep. And so that's why you have Congress dominated by white people and 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 the presidency <laughs> dominated by white people. Why it was such a big deal that Barack Obama made it, you know, that far. Uh, and, and granted, whites are the dominant uh, population force in the U.S., but if if we truly, uh, which thank goodness will change, I think the year, I don't, I don't remember by the year 20-something. 2050, yeah, 2050. White, whites will no longer, the whites will make up less than 50% of the U.S. population. And so some much-needed demographical change to our political uh, you know, representation will change as well at that point. But it brings up a deeper point that, if the only in, in when it comes to politics, even so, I, I thought about it with the the Black Like Me book. It only mattered when a white person said it. So if mm-hmm. if, if a Native American person is saying these are issues that I'm having, it doesn't really matter because you're not white. Nope. That, that that's a subtle. Nobody would come out and say that. But if you look at the way right. we vote, and then you look at the people who are in power, that's what we see right and, and so to be a minor mm-hmm. to be a minority in america that's rough i mean to be a minority in america you really don't have 
representation at the table because the only people who see <laughs> the only people who say things are colorblind are the people in power right they and they're not they only say that to give themselves an excuse to not have to deal with the issues that right. affect your demographic i don't have to deal with native americans issues if if i see them all that they're well i'm colorblind i don't i don't even see their issues i don't see them right i can ignore them I, I can ignore them, right? So yeah. I, I'm getting on a little bit of a rabbit trail there, but let's uh, let's close up that question with something Mark asked. Um, when is it, or can it be a part of healthy multiculturalism? So I think about multi-ethnic churches here, Tyler. I'd be curious of your thoughts. Like we want white people singing black gospel music in the church, right? I mean, because that's part of. I'm I, mm-hmm. I, I'm ex- I, I'm not only accepting your culture, I, I am embracing it. I like it. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm saying this is a very valid way to connect with God and communicate with God. Mm-hmm. So, so where is that line drawn where it becomes a healthy part of multiculturalism, right. maybe within a multi-ethnic church context? Yeah, I don't view that as, I don't view black, black, brown, white, um, Asian people singing uh, every praise together by Hezekiah Walker. I don't view that as cultural appropriation. I view that as unity. Cultural appropriation is when a predominantly white church plays that or they sing black gospel and they don't give the story. They don't say, hey, this music was started by uh, Thomas Dorsey, who wrote Precious Lord, the very first, quote, gospel song, um, and give the history of gospel music to invite and to invite uh, their people into a understanding of that culture. When they just get up and sing every praise as if it was, and <laughs> it's usually a sanitized, bleached version of the actual song. Mm-hmm. When they present that as just, just another song, that's appropriation. You dig what I'm saying? It's different. It's different yeah. when you say, hey, I'm, in, I'm embracing this. I want, I want to know more about your culture. I want to experience this. I want to know the history of this. I want to be a part of this. I want to learn. I want to be a learner as opposed to we're doing this now and this is ours now. This is one of our, we're going to add this as one of our standards. Yeah. You dig what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. And there's, it's, I think it's, it's complicated. It's easier said than done because much easier. Your worship leader, who's probably not even a pastor of your church, they might, you know, you, depending on your context, your worship leader might just be a college student that's a volunteer, you know. <laughs> Or mm-hmm. if, uh, you know, you could have a, a full-time sort of professional musician doing it as well. But, yeah, it, 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 takes, that, it takes that position to a whole other depth of leadership where yeah. to be able to understand the depth of that is, and then to be able to articulate it in a, in a lead way from the stage, that is uh, – it's a high calling. We'll say that. You know, it's mm-hmm. a high calling. And, and I think that's the type of stuff we're talking about when it comes to this is – it, the sanitized, bleached-down version that that doesn't cost very much, right? That's a that that doesn't take much effort. It, it does take effort. And it's usually whack. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> it's usually really whack. Yeah. Um, but it takes effort to give the education right. behind, or even you said it last episode. White people, I think, s- sing music with their their mouths or something with words, and black people sing it with their their chest. We or feel music. You yeah. feel music. Yeah. Like. Yeah, white people listen to music black people feel music and to at least be able to explain that these words mean more than just the words 
And as a white person, honestly, I will never understand that fully. But mm -hmm. I need to push myself to try to understand it. And what I need from the other side is I need my black brother or sister in Christ to not judge me that I won't yeah, be patient. That I won't be yeah. able to fully feel it the way that they do. But right. as a brother and sister in Christ, I am I am humbling myself and really want to. Like I really am like, mm -hmm. teach me. But it's kinda like anything else when you teach your child how to how to tie their shoes, you don't say Oh, you idiot! Like you can't, you, you you don't know how to tie your shoes. It's easy. I've been tying my shoes for thirty years, right? I think that's right. where, with some of these things, the racial divide can can grow even more. There can be resentment there because I think for a black person, it can be like, well, why don't you get this? It's like, well, I don't get it because right. I I I haven't done this for thirty years, let alone for it's been a part of my cultural heritage for three hundred years. So I think that's where that it has um, to be great. Yeah, yes. it has to be grace on both sides. It yeah. has to be grace on both sides. Yeah. And 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 I say this primarily to my white brothers and sisters, you have to be willing not to be the teacher. Amen to that. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean in most situations I've been in so I, <laughs> I'm 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 just gonna spare a lot of details, but I've been in situations um and they were they're trying to start all these initiatives for black pastors and the initiatives for black pastors are led by white pastors. Right. So I'm not going to go. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to go. Right. <laughs> I'm just not going to go. Um, you know, and if, if you don't like that, I mean, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. But, I, yeah, man, it's, 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 it's so uncomfortable. And I see, the, I see the discomfort on a lot of my white brothers' faces when I tell them that, no, you're learning. You you're the people here. Yeah. You come to my city. You come to my context. You ask me a question about urban ministry. You ask me a question about discipleship in my. You're the learner. Yes. You know, just like if I come and I come to your context, or I'm asking you about something that I'm completely oblivious to, I'm the learner. Right. You know. Uh. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. You got it's, it's patience, and we we take turns being the pupil and take turns being the learner. Yeah, that's uh, good. That'll go, that'll go a long way. And I think that's what true multiculturalism is. It's saying, it is. what are the values of, you know, when you talk about white culture, it's not all bad. I mean, there's, even as you look at the history of, like, white, I disagree, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but, like, you know, you quote Spurgeon all the time, and you quote, oh, that's my you man. know, Calvin, all, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's oh. like, yeah, the, these are th this is a that's a part of the stream of like white theology, and I think what mm -hmm. he what healthy multiculturalism looks like in the church is to be able to say, let's take turns being the teacher and the pupil, and it's not in a um, that doesn't mean I'm going to teach you like I the white guy I'm going to teach you the black guy Spurgeon's theology. I think it means someone like you, Tyler, who's humble enough when you heard Spurgeon. Or like you mentioned, John MacArthur, and you just said, "No, this is true. Like this is good. Like this is this is what I this is what I this is a stream that I want to go in when it comes to the Bible." And now you're you're able to. They're the teacher, and you're the pupil. And then you're now the teacher, but you're teaching what could be considered quote white theology, uh, but you're not you're not doing it divorced from black theology and, and you know and, and all these other right. you know if it's so right. 
my but my my thought with it is this there's an analogy and then, and then I'll I'll close with this analogy I think of that, that helps with this both sides of it sort of thing like I'm, I'm pretty athletic for certain sports whenever I watch the Olympics you know you see these sports where they are so specialized right and so right you watch figure skaters and these these people that are figure skating have literally been doing it since they were four years old right I have a six-year-old right. and a four-year-old, and uh, that's not how I choose to raise my kids, right? Like, I'm not taking them to the skating rink, and this is, like, the only thing they've been doing their whole life, and they're amazing at it, and they're doing triple mm-hmm. triple axles and triple lutzes and all these things. And let's say that that's, in my context, that's, like, black culture, and I'm saying I want to be multicultural. Like, I, I read the Bible. I read the book, Divided by Faith. Man, I want to learn how to figure skate. And uh, you've been doing it your whole life. Like, it's, it just comes mm-hmm. naturally to you because you know mm-hmm. it, you do it. And if I come to you and say, I want you to teach me, it takes two things. One, I actually have to be able to be the learner. Like, I can't give right. the Olympian advice. On, no, 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 you're doing that wrong. Let me show you how to do it. But at the same time, mm-hmm. we all have to acknowledge, I am going to look like a total fool when I get that out there on figure skates. Uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good runner, decent at football. I'm very, you know, capable at basketball, but if I put on, I can, and I can play hockey on roll rollerblades, but if I put on figure skates and I try to do anything relating to a twist or a move, I'm going to fall <laughs> on, my, on my butt. And if it were videotape, people would laugh. And so you can see the hesitation, right? Of why a white person would even want to enter into that arena to learn because the other side of the coin is the instructor the olympian figure skater has to know like two things one they're not going to get it right away even if they want to mm-hmm. and two right. as a 35 year old i will never fully get it i will never fully get right. figure skating if i if i figure skated every second of my life from now as 35 until i die I will never be able to fully have muscle memory the way like the four-year-old did. And I think we, we have mm-hmm. to look at that and, and, and drop the judgment and the condemning that's sometimes there uh, and say, but to make sure our heart is in the right place to say, like, right. are you being humble? Are you putting yourself under a person of color to lead you in this and then for the person of color? Otherwise, we can't do it. Other, we can't be in community together if the person right. of color is always just constantly like ticked off, right? That the white yeah. person or the white congregation, mm-hmm. they just can't get it. And it's like, well, they might really be trying. And that's where yeah. a lot of grace comes in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree that a hundred percent. And just, you know, to close on that, it's, it's incumbent on me if I want to have true diversity um, and not and not just white people assimilating and just being bobbleheads to everything I say. Yeah, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah, um, and that's, that happens easily too. That does happen easily. Yeah. I'll agree with everything yep. you say, Tyler, because if I disagree, I'm I'm raci- racist, I'm racist. <laughs> and uh, that is really tough. That's I mean that's that that can, that makes it impossible, I think, to do yeah. multicultural ministry. Yeah, it, it has to. We we we. It has to be a lot of grace, man. It has yeah. to be a lot of grace, or you just end up with a church with a person in a person of color, maybe in position, but it's not true diversity. Yeah, it's just that's a that's a figurehead, or you have white people just 
having black people assimilate. I mean, that's what a and that's a whole nother ball of wax. But right, right, a right. lot of quote diverse churches have no diversity in leadership, and it's just basically the black people move to the suburbs and they don't want to drive on the other side of town. And this church is kind of okay, and they got good kids ministry, so I'm going to go here. It's just black, like what, like what, what we always have to do. Blacks have always had to assimilate. We had sure. to assimilate in school, had to assimilate in our place of work. So we're fine assimilating and just going along with the get along. So, uh, but that's not true diversity. That's just assimilation. And just because you sing every praise and you sing one gospel a week, or or you you know mix in a Dr. King quote, or you quote retweet Vody Bacham, don't mean you di- don't mean you're diverse and multicultural. Right. And I'm gonna stop there before I say yeah, something else. There you go. Well, <laughs> the cultural wounds of racism between whites and blacks are so deep that in my 10 years of trying to trying right of to be a multicultural church and reading books and doing trainings and going to trainings and all this sort of thing what i've learned after 10 years is the wounds are so deep um god needs we need god's help and we may always we may always be like that 35 year old trying to learn how to figure skate i mean it and mm-hmm. uh, we're called to try. <laughs> like we're called to try. Yeah. But yeah. you're not going to listen to like our podcast and then say, "Oh, I'm going to go like fix racism." I mean, the the wounds are so deep on both sides. Yeah, the the oppression, the feelings of oppression, the feelings of superiority, they're so subconscious that the mm-hmm. the, the trust breaks down so quickly. Mm-hmm. And we have to persevere in it because it's it's our calling. Yeah. But just you, we also have to know what we're getting into. It is like the Matrix movie. Like you get out of the Matrix and you're on this ship that is like gray and there's no food and it's there's no plant light. It's just like okay, this is not what I expected, but it's reality. I've right? never it's, seen I've never seen the Matrix, so I'm gonna take your. Uh... All right. It's a. Uh, <laughs> I recommend the first movie, not the second two, because of. Uh, inappropriate things that you should read my oh, book you should read my book to become pure about oh, but the first oh, book is is clean it's just a, it's just a cultural metaphor where like we, oh. we 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 live in a fantasy world and and then we learn about how deep racism really is and then we're like oh crap i would rather go back to the fantasy world i'd rather go back as a white person to like not ever knowing how bad it really was uh but now that i know how bad it is and i just learn you know you just learn deeper and deeper like we it, we're, we just need a lot of grace on both sides for us to really yeah. you know be able to do this so all right well we're gonna wrap this episode up it was a long one hopefully a good one four day fourth hopefully chris wandor uh spreads the the news of the black and white theology podcast so that this will reach many years spreading the news that's right and clio i'll be working on my i'm trying to think of new ways to arrange the the two dip uh, so we want to start kind of a new movement. Uh, you, you, uh, stop it. John Calvin had his movement. We're going to have oh. ours. I'm thinking of Poot. No, Poot, sir. Pootid is one I'm working on. Oh. Dupit is a, another good one. So hey. if anyone has, right. has their thoughts on that, I, I, I would welcome them. We, you can join the movement. No. You can reach us at bwtheology at gmail or on Twitter at bwtheology. 
Yeah, man. That wraps up this fifth or sixth episode of the Black and White Theology Podcast. This is five and six. It could be. It could be a a bonus track. This is the this is the collector's edition, baby. We hope you are entertained. We hope we hope that we did not offend you to the point that you have left your faith or that you've chosen to unsubscribe from the podcast, which would be equally unsubscribe. Yeah, that'd be that'd be tragic. So until next time, we are your cappuccino. With that white, frothy stuff on top and all that dark coffee goodness on the bottom. Okay. <laughs> I'm quitting. No one needs needs a new co-host. If you're black and you want to <laughs> be his co-host, email this joker because I quit. Cappuccinos are like, they're like $5 too. I mean, those things, oh, they're valuable. We are valuable to the world. We will talk to you next time. Hey.